You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Will you turn with me to John chapter 17? In the Church Bibles, which I'm reading from, it's at page 1085, John chapter 17 and page 1085. I'm not going to read um, all of Jesus' prayer. We're going to look at his, where he starts praying, as it were, for those that hear the testimony of the apostles, that is, for the church, really most of the church. Um, reading from verse 20 to 26. But we will be referring, I will hopefully be referring back to other parts of the prayer as we try and uh, explain things. Um, so keep it open on your, on your laps after we finish reading. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, that is, the apostles. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself maybe in them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may I speak as in the sight of Christ, and may we listen to what He has to say to us, and not be distracted by any error in what I humanly say, so that our faith is increased. We are strengthened. We receive courage and are heartened to serve you, love you, and be your witnesses in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember um, a minister speaking about another minister who had got into trouble in the congregation. It was fault on both sides. Um, but eventually the pastoral tie had to be broken. And the minister said, you know, he, he went into a difficult situation. Um, and what he should have done was he should have preached on something simple like the love of God and not controversial. Um, I sort of thought for a while that was quite a good idea, the love of God, uh, something simple. Until I read um, a very short book by Don Carson's called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. Anybody read that one? Okay, right, Thomas, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the love of God is not simple in uh, the Bible at all. And Carson's t 
talk, distinguishes five different uh, kinds of way of thinking or talking about the love of God. So I'm daunted even as I start, but today or tonight I want us to, um, to think together about the Father's love as we have it in these verses that I read in John chapter 17. Uh, I really feel exposed by this message. I started with a good idea of speaking about the love of God and then realized how little I do know myself about the love of God. I am reminded of an interview on the radio I heard. Um, they were doing a, a retrospective of some actor. I only got the middle of it. Ministers generally only get the middle of radio programs when they move from one house to the next. So I can't remember which actor it was, but they were doing a retrospective of his life. And they had another actress on. And, and she said, oh, he, he, he was wonderful. We were great friends. We, we, you know, we were so close. And she spoke as if he was dead. And then the interviewer said, you know, he's still alive. Oh, is he? Oh, well, when you see him, say hello for me. And I kind of feel um, that maybe you'll catch me out uh, in some of the things that I speak about. God, give me grace not to speak beyond my experience, but to speak according to the Scripture and to your benefit. There are two things I want to say about this love of the Father. I want to talk about how it's defined in, these, in this prayer and the measure of the Father's love. And then I want us to ask and try and answer a so what question. What does it all mean? Um, as we look at Jesus' prayer, we haven't read the whole of it, but as we look at that, and as we look in the Gospel of John in particular, um, one characteristic that leaps out about the Father's love is that it's a giving love. If you look at verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. The glory you have given me because you loved me. Giving love for Jesus, defines something of the Father's love, a giving love. And that word giving, um, it, it appears 415 times in the New Testament, 75 times in John's Gospel, 17 times in John 17, and 11 times of the Father. So it's in the vocabulary of John's Gospel and in the vocabulary of John's prayer that God is a giving God. And you notice the two things that Jesus draws attention to. Believers are given to Jesus as a present. First of all, um, let me have a look here. Earlier on in the prayer, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So Jesus says, even in the earlier part of the prayer, that the apostles, the disciples, they were a gift of God to him, gift of the Father to him. And earlier on in the Gospels, he says, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, 
but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And also he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. Believers, Jesus sees those that believe in him and trust in him in faith as a gift from the Father, from the Father's love. It is an amazing thought that as if the Father is saying, here, what have I got to give you as an inheritance, my son? I'm going to give you the church. I'm going to give you the believers in all ages and stages, in all tongues and tribes and families of men throughout generations. I'm going to give them to you as one holy, perfected bride. I'm going to give you this as your inheritance. This is my love for you, my son. The Father's love is a giving love. And throughout John's gospel, that notion again and again comes through And earlier on in these upper room discourses, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, another counselor, another one who's called alongside, just as Jesus was called alongside, just like him, God will give in His love, the Holy Spirit. Um, In that same verse, verse 24, we see that Jesus says, you gave Him glory. Glory is given to Jesus. The glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. At the beginning of His prayer, Jesus said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And he's talking about the hour of his cross. He's talking about the supreme example of his glorification in the will of the Father to save the church, the people that the Father has given to Jesus in love. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The Father's love is a giving love, giving glory to Jesus, giving the church to Jesus, giving the Holy Spirit to believers. And perhaps one of the most famous verses in John's gospel, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is the Father's love like? It is a giving love. I don't know if you have a tradition in your families that when the Father comes home from a, from a trip away, He comes home with presents. And uh, sometimes this happens. What have you got me is the first question that you might get when you come back in. Not, oh, it's lovely to see you. But there is something 
in the Father's heart that loves to give. And that is a reflection of our eternal Father's love for us as a gathering and personally, individually, particularly and uniquely to each one of us. That it's not a, a kind of, let me take down from the supermarket shelf brand A of love, and then we'll apply that all the way to every, just irrespective of who they are or where they are at or what their needs are. It is a personalized love, a giving love that respects the individuality and the needs and the point in time that we are there. One of the pictures that uh, that the Scripture uses to describe the giving love of the Father is the cup. Um, we sung that this morning in, in uh, Psalm 23, uh, my cup overflows. It's an individual portion that is given to individual believers. It is a destiny and a work that's been given to do. It is a future and a purpose. This is your cup. And you may be drinking the cup of parenthood or the cup of doctoring or the cup of preaching or the cup of being a creative homemaker. Um, that is your cup. That is your destiny. That is the gift of love from the Father to each child. What are you going to give me? I'm going to give you this cup. Drink it all of you. One of the um, things that follow on from the love of the Father being a giving love is that we need to learn by the Spirit how to ask. In Jesus' prayer, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. Um, I pray, uh, what else does he say that? He says also, he says, I, I desire, verse 24. But that word pray is, um, is the translation of a simple word, ask. Now, there's, to let you understand, there are various Greek dialects in the world. There is um, Attic, Koine, and Highland. And I'll leave you to guess what kind of dialect I have uh, when I speak Greek. So, erotao. Um, is the word. It's a word to ask. And there's another word to ask in Greek called aiteo. I don't know if that's right. Is that right there? Thank you. I've got a thumbs up from Thanos. Uh, right, so uh, two words. that are, They're synonymous. They, they, they can be simple questions, asking for information, or they can be supplications, asking for something. And um, only Jesus uses this word erotao uh, to God as asking something from God. It is, in this distinction, the difference between aitio and erotao is that aitio is from someone who is less asking a favor of someone who is greater. And erotao is a favor you're asking from someone who is equal. Uh, you are two kings, and you, King A says to King B, I've got a bit of a job going on in my fields here. Can you lend me some of your workers so that I can get my harvest in in time? And King B says to King A, very well, old chap, here they are, they're all yours. Um, Eretao equals ask. And Jesus is in that place of equality. This word never appears on the lips of believers to the Father. We ask, simply ask, and, and the word is aitio, 
You will ask, says Jesus, and my Father will give you the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's this learning to ask simply. Father, they need. Father, can they have? Father, here's what my desire is. And if we have learned that the Father is a giving God, then we need to learn to ask and not faint, as Jesus says, when at first we don't receive. Jesus was very, very at pains, wasn't he, in the preaching of the Sermon on the Mount to encourage us to see God as Father who gives. Um, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a stone and say, chew on that? Or if he asked you for a fish, would give him a snake and say, bite that? Now, you are evil, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? In Luke's gospel, he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The gift of all gifts. So God's, the Father's love is a giving love. But I want us then to think now um, about the measure of that love that Jesus has. And there are two verses in this prayer that I want us to look at. Verse 23 I in them and you in me, that they may be one. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And it's that word even that I find astonishing. You love them even as you have loved me. Now, I can understand Jesus saying, um, well, you love me more, and you love them because of me. That's true. Um, but this kind of uh, an amazing equality, even as you have loved me, how has the Father loved the Son? And then start to take that to uh, ourselves. Well, verse 24 you gave me glory because you loved me before the creation of the world. The Father's love for Jesus, the Son, is an eternal love. It didn't start at a particular time because of a particular event that there was God, and then suddenly Jesus suddenly appeared somewhere or other, or the Son suddenly appeared. God's love for the Son is eternal, everlasting, no beginning, no end. And there is something of the truth of that about His love for us, that before the world was founded, before darkness fled at the voice of the Lord saying, Light, the Father loved us. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. Before you were born, before you leapt forth from your mother's womb, as this scripture puts it very graphically, 
before you came into existence, you were loved with an eternal love. And that means there's a plan involved in His love and a purpose that will be fulfilled despite many setbacks. How many have experienced setbacks even today? God's love, even as you have loved me eternally, you love them. I want the world to know that. I want them to know that, that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Earlier on in John's gospel, the same thought uh, is given to us about the Father loving the Son, and we can take this perhaps to uh, explain what that even might mean for us. In John 3:35, Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything into His hands. Here you are, Jesus. The universe is yours. The church is yours. Everything is yours. It's all in your hands. Judgment is yours. Everything I hand over to you, into your hands. I hold nothing back, says the Father to Jesus. I know it's Anglican, but we're... um, you know, a kind of open church here for all traditions and backgrounds. But in the old Anglican wedding service, with this ring, I thee wed, with my body, I thee worship, and with all my earthly goods, I thee endow. At the point of declaration of love and promises exchanged, there is the giving over completely of the one to the other in love of everything. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything into His hands. Paul says, the world is yours, the universe is yours, you're going to judge angels. Everything is yours, and you are Christ's. May they know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. And there's another place in John's gospel which talks about the love of the Father to the Son. John 15, 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does because the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. How does the Father love the Son? He shows him all that he does. Now, the picture here is New Testament times, when you knew what you're going to be when you grew up, because that's what your father was. If your father was a farmer, you'd be a farmer, Um, and you would learn from your father how to do whatever your father did. Um, So you have this picture of a master craftsman teaching his child the tricks of the trade. So Mr. Stradivarius Sr. says to Strad Jr., now son, 
This is how you choose the right kind of wood for the back of the violin. Make sure it's seasoned well, kept in proper humidity and dryness, turned over regularly, kept for at least seven years. Don't use sandpaper on it or shark skin. Steel only when you scrape it. And this is how thin it's got to be here. This is the glue that we use in the Stradivarius family. This is the varnish. Only your grandfather Stradi knew this varnish. This is an amazing thing. I'm going to teach you this. Yes, Dad. Show me more about that, Father. Yes. And Dad is a hero to the son because he shows him all that he is doing. And so like a master craftsman in righteousness, holiness, and joy, and happiness, the Father loves His children and will show them all that He is doing in the renewal of the world. If anyone is in Christ, the only thing that counts is new creation. And the Father is showing His children this. Even as He has loved His Son, He is loving us. He is showing us. There was also surely a sense of delight and discovery in that father showing the son or God showing the children, the adopted children. Um, this, just this sense of joy, mutual joy and encouragement, surely that's in it, in the father's love for us and our love returned to him. I don't know if you've ever suffered from uh, my very gifted children syndrome. Some people have this. I'm not mentioning anybody here by name because I know it's not a problem here, but you may have suffered from this. You know, my very gifted children, my son is a rocket scientist, and my son, he learned to play grade eight uh, saxophone before he was three, my, and, and, and on and on they go. And you're really irritated because you want to get in with your very gifted children, but they're not giving you a chance. Um, God the Father loves loves to speak and show his son things, um, even as he has loved me. I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of that, uh, ever in all eternity, what that fully means. But we can start tonight that you love me even as you have loved Jesus. If it wasn't in the Bible and if it wasn't Jesus praying it, I wouldn't dare say it because it sounds too shocking. But it's there. Make of it what you will. And then there's the other verse um, about the Father's love, which is probably more shocking and astonishing. Verse 26. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself maybe in them. The love you have for me. It's not just the same loving in the same way, but is it the same quality or measure of love? What, what exactly does this mean? God surely cannot love His adopted children in Christ with the same divine love that He loves within the Trinity. There must be a mediated love somehow or other through Jesus, but it's getting very close to that, isn't it? That you, the love you have for me may be in them, 
and that I myself may be in them. So what is he saying? What does that mean, that for me? What's the weight of that for us tonight, the love that you have for me? Here's where I'm going to get in big trouble because I'm taking a risk here. Um, I think that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, that Jonathan Edwards, he's, he's the fellow that's got me into trouble because I might not have understood what he, what he was talking about when he was writing on the Trinity. But he said, if you can imagine an eternally perfect being who from all eternity was Father, who saw perfectly reflected in that eternal perfect Son all His infinite perfections, that you cannot be a son eternally without a father, you cannot be a father eternally without a son, that everything that was good and perfect and beautiful and holy and glorious in the Father is reflected perfectly in the image and character of the one only begotten Son, there proceeds from this glory and joy and love, the Holy Spirit. Not that He is an emotion of God. And some people say that. Well, when you say that the Holy Spirit is the love that's between the Father and the Son, is that not just reducing the Spirit to an emotion? He is eternally the third person proceeding from the Father and the Son, and they love one another in the Godhead, in this mysterious way, through the Spirit. He is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. I will continue to make you known, says Jesus, that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. That is an amazing thought that the dust of the earth that God breathed life into and then sinned away the brightness of that image of God is redeemed at such infinite cost by the cross and blood of Christ to be brought into fellowship with God. to be loved by the Father, to no other end, not just to work for Him or to do for Him, but to be loved by Him and to love Him in return, to be in company and in Him and He in us by the Spirit in love. I sometimes here I've heard of a number of cases, um, at least five in my history, of a couple who have adopted children because they can't have children, and then miraculously, graciously, they conceive and have natural children afterwards. And it's an amazing joy that this happens. And it's an amazing grace when you see the love that they are careful to show so that the adopted children don't ever feel that they are not loved as much as the natural children. And there's something of that grace 
in this prayer of Jesus for us, that Jesus wants us to know that adopted children as we are, the love that he has for me may be in you, and that I myself may be in you. God is the gospel, says John Piper in one of his famous books, that if you're only believing in Jesus because you're frightened of hell and want to live forever, you're not a believer. You're not born again. You're only born again when God Himself is the prize and treasure of your heart, and that the cost of your redemption is the cost to bring you back to Him so that you can enjoy Him forever and glorify Him in life and in death and in eternity. God is the gospel. It's knowing Him and knowing His love that is the good news. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, says Jesus. It's as He reveals. Now, He said this earlier on in the prayer um, about the apostles. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, verse 6. And then He says a different word, I've made you known. I've explained you. I've brought knowledge of the Father in what I've taught, in what I've shown, in how I've loved. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Peter, um, I will, I've made you known as Father, and I'll continue to make you known. And the more he makes God the Father known, the deeper the reality of the love of God comes to us. And the more we are engrafted deeper and deeper into that love into that fellowship. And so that's where we gather Sunday by Sunday, so that Jesus makes the Father known to us through the Scriptures. And that's why we pray and witness, because not enough people have heard of the love of the Father or seen Jesus. The measure of God's love, even as you have loved me and the love you have for me. Measurement is always a problem, always has been. It's a big scientific problem, I think. I'm not a scientist. Um, I don't know what kind of speciality I have. Potterer. I'm a potterer, basically. I've got, I'm a dabbler in things. I have a little knowledge about a lot of things, and most of it uh, not very useful. But um, as far as I understand, m measurements, uh, it's a difficult thing in science, Length, mass, and time, first things defined. And they thought, well, we need something else. Uh, we need to be able to measure current. And so then they got a, a measure for current. And then temperature and substance and luminous intensity were added. And you have the uh, SI unit, the Kelvin, the mole, and the candela. Sounds like something from Wind in the Willows to me, but never mind. Kelvin, Mole, and Candela went down the... No, never mind. No, no, yeah. So the problem of measurement's always been there. Um, how do you measure gold? Well, by carats or diamonds, by carats. How do you measure the value of something? It's even harder. You come... Something, a piece of art, or a house to live in, or a treasure. How do you, how do you say, what's the value of that? It's what, what the market will pay, the economists tell us. Um, that house that you insure for replacement costs of 10,000 um, pounds on the open market is worth 
£20,000. Because um, what's the market will pay for it? Or it's the other way around in negative equity times. Thank you, Brexit. No, no, no. Sorry, okay, never mind. Um, and I, I don't know if you've ever... I love these stories um, on the antique shows or in the paper or something about, about these people that bring along an old pot that Auntie Grace had left them. You know, they, they keep their, their, their um, buttons in it or they use it to hang up their, their umbrellas in, in this pot. And it turns out it's a, a Ming vase worth millions and, you know, they've been kicking it around and don't particularly like it or anything like that. You've heard stories about that, haven't you? This, this, this treasure in your midst that you didn't value, you didn't know about. The love of God. How do you measure the worth of something that is unique, that there's not a comparison for? The auctioneers can say, well, this piece will be worth such and such because that's what the other one like it was last week. Um, but the love of God is unique. It's of one kind. You cannot compare that with anything else. You can only go by analogy to Jesus. And the love of the Father is immense. As I have loved Jesus, even I love you. Well, so what? What are we going to make of that? Is there any... Um, practical uh, doing that can come from this worship of our hearts and thanksgiving and love back to Him, yes, love returned to love given. Um, in the Upper Room Discourses, chapter 14 to 17 here, um, and in this prayer, there is one response that Jesus would impress upon us tonight, and that is faith. Do you believe this? My prayer, my ask is not for them alone. I ask also for those who will believe in me through their message. Believe in me. Or he opens the whole discourse in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you believe that the Father loves you as He loves the Son? May God, the Holy Spirit, give you faith tonight for that. And tomorrow, to enable you to do the hard thing when you're not with the Christians, when you're in the hard place. Father, you love me. I'm going to serve you in this difficult place with these difficult people and I'm going to ask for special grace because I know I'm a difficult person and hard to get on with and often cause misunderstandings. But you love me, and I want to love you. Faith is one response that Jesus is praying for and calling for from this truth about the Father's love. And then there's another response that is intriguing to me, and that's the world how often that word, world, appears in Jesus' prayer. Uh, verse 9, I pray for them, the apostles. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. But then, in verse 21, 
He prays that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world may believe you have sent me. Now, what is the work of God, Jesus said, John 6, 29? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's faith. That's saving faith he's talking about. Um, or verse 8 of 17, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So back to verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's praying for the world in that, isn't he? I'm not praying for all, but he's praying for the world. That's a strange contradiction there. Or verse 23, it's uh, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Verse 3 of uh, chapter 17 in this prayer. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's not an arcane piece of knowledge to know the love of the Father. It's not for the super spiritual to know that you are loved by the Father as He loves Jesus. It's an important thing as far as Jesus is concerned for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the world. And that love of God runs through the gospel, doesn't it? God so loved the Son that He gave Him everything. He gave Him the world that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That makes complete sense, doesn't it, to say it like that, John 3.16. God so loves Jesus that He gives Him the world. Here it is. It's not enough that I give you the gold of the world. I give you the world itself and all its fullness. But that's not what it says in the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The Father's love has an implication for our attitude towards the world. It is not a reality and truth that we hug to ourselves to make ourselves feel good and better and forget those that are dying in their sins, those who are living poor lives because they don't know eternal life. They don't know Jesus. So, to know the love of the Father, that's what he's praying for, isn't it? He's asking. You know how, uh, it's my final thought, how sometimes when you really want a big favor for someone, you, you say, I know it's a big ask. It's a big ask, but can you do it for me? Jesus asks with a confidence because there is nothing that's too big for him to ask from the Father. And he's asking that the world may know, that the world may believe, that the gospel may go out 
and may it happen in Dundee and in Scotland and to the other parts of the world that happen to be inhabited to his glory. Let's pray. Think of what Paul said that he beat his body into submission lest after preaching the gospel he be disqualified for the prize. Father in heaven, that after speaking of your love and after listening to the gospel of your love, that we are somehow disqualified from that blessing, please let that not be. May it not come to pass. May it not be born. But rather, may we, in knowing your love, Rest in it, rest in Him, and share Him to your glory and to our blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.